0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: All right, let me have a drink of my beer first. Burp. See, I can't burp on command. I've never been able to do that in my entire life. You know the people back in grade school when it was cool? They just, you know, right in front of you. They do the alphabet. They're the cool kids, you know? Maybe not so much with the girls, but they were cool in my book because they could do something I couldn't do. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that prides itself on being a candidate for hoarding buried alive. Based on bikes and audio adapter cords alone. That's right, it's the Pack Filler Podcast in the Pack Filler studio. I am Pat Bulger. Hi. Yeah, we're still doing it. There's a big one today. Oh, but First, I gotta thank the sponsors of the show. Of course. The Sufferfest. Gotta thank the SufferFest. Do not forget that the tour of Sufferlandria Landry at right around the corner. I'm not going to inundate you with episode after episode this year, but it is amazing kickoff to the serious training. February 6th through the 14th. Great cause. All entries go into Davis Finney Foundation for Parkinson's Research. And an amazing prize list, you guys. In fact, i got to bring down the, the, the music for this. Because this is the prize list. You guys, there's a BMC bike. There are jerseys that are signed by, like, real Pros and stuff. There are, um, and in fact, I, th- I believe there was a, a Watt bike just came up. And I think Watt bikes is primarily a thing that's over the pond. It's over the pond, away from us. Um, sorry for everybody over there that I just probably just really destroyed your dialect. But you guys do it to us all the time. Um, a watt bike uh, that I guess is like a, the stationary bike of all stationary bikes that's going to be given up for this. All you got to do is um, get on the site and uh, get on, well, go, go there through packfiller.com because that's, that's the process. That makes me warm and fuzzy. And if you buy a video, that gives me like 50 cents. Um, but uh, all you got to do is donate through their site to the Davis Finney Foundation. Every $10 gets you an entry into f- basically the Tour of Landria. You ride the stages. You do all that stuff. You get great workouts. You beat the shit out of yourself doing these great videos. It's a great online community. And before you know it, there's a drawing at the end. And all you did was lose seven pounds. And the drawing consists of all these incredible prizes, and they tell you they've won the iPads. uh, You know, it was all kinds of stuff over the years. I don't personally know because I've never fucking won. I've done every tour of Sufferlandia. Haven't won shit. I've done podcasts for those people. I know, I should have an insider deal. But they keep it honest. Jesus. So, um you, you got to go there. G- uh, get to the site. Buy some videos, or I guess you could use the app. Join the online community. Uh, they use the word suffer over there more than a contestant on The Bachelor uses the word like, but that is okay. Um, it's a great group, so be over there and get involved with the Tour of Sufferlandria. Sponsors. Oh, yeah, I have a new sponsor, but I'm not going to mention them yet. They're on the website. They're, uh, t- they're one of the banners on the website. Go and check them out. Um, hopefully, we'll have some ad copy for them coming up in the next Mm, probably next week. We'll have to see what happens. See, I'm baiting the hook for them. And, and mind you, let me have a hint. Let me sip a little bit of my beer that I'm having right now. Ah. See, that was a hint. That was a hint to them. I hope they're listening and you know, I hope they really want to be a part of this program because we're good people, you know? we like fresh beer. Oh, I've said too much. Hey you guys, today's show is Oh, before I get to that, did uh get on get on uh yeah, the iTunes. You got to say the before it because it makes you sound old. Get on the iTunes and rank us here at the Pack Filler podcast. We are insecure. We need to know what you guys think. Big thanks to the Derby folks. Uh great response from the Derby podcast last week and um what a great community. And uh, a lot of cool people over there. Good feedback I got from all of them, including some rankings. Who would have thought, right? Who would have thunk it? And so you guys are all being nice to me. Um, I did uh, a Derby workout this very day. And uh, it was hard. It was called Jurassic, and I did the level two. And my calves are so tight that I'm walking around like I'm stuck a 2-by-4 up my ass. But um, other than that, it's a great workout. So thanks to those guys. Be sure and check out them. They're good friends. They're not a sponsor, but they're good people. (sighs) There we go. Today's show, you guys, double dose of 10 questions. Speaking of which, I know it's been more than 10 questions. Maybe I should redo the music bumper so it's it's true because I know you people are dying for honesty out of me and um, just maybe I'll just play the music and you can figure it out. But I just get too excited with the guests that have been lining up and I can't stop it at ten. They haven't been lining up. I've been more or less begging them for decades. And for some reason, they're drinking the Kool-Aid now, and they're, and they're coming on to the show. So big thanks to everybody for coming on to the show. I've got good guests, and I've got new guests that are coming on to the show in the near future that are going to be a lot more fun. I mean, not more fun, that are going to continue the fun. Shit, I insulted them already. Okay. Um, but today's show is kind of a double dose, as I said. It fits in perfectly with my usual woe-is-me opening. You know me. I got to make it about me. In case you didn't know, podcasters are just shallow assholes who have nobody to listen to them. So they buy a mic, a recorder, waste a ton of money on a broadcasting career and a degree. (laughs) And then they remodel their basement into a Sub-Zero studio space to vent their insecurities for your hopeful amusement. Oh, God, I said it. Actually, that was quite cleansing. Um. I know you guys know about my situation. Just received word the past month about my entry into the Leadville 100 in August. I've been pissing and moaning for a couple of years about motivation, you know, f- for probably forever. And then all of a sudden the stars lined up and kicked me right in my whiny balls. So uh, now I has to have to literally take on rule five. I have to STFU. I have to get my shit together, you guys. So I started hitting the bike. Started hitting the bike hard, immediately, right out of the gate. Got the entry film. oh, shit, got to do it, as well as the Dare Be workouts. See, I'm giving those guys free plugs like crazy. Too bad they don't charge anything for their services. Um, so I hit everything hard, and I, I might have hit it. I might have hit it too hard, you guys. I hurt myself.
3: <laughs> Fuck.
2: I hurt myself, you guys. Can I mention to you guys how much growing older really sucks balls? I honestly remember the day when I was able to start base training in January and have absolutely no problem whatsoever beating the ultimate shit out of myself for several months and just hit the spring ready to rock. Just piece of cake. Now... I know some of you are saying I'm older than you. Shut up, Pat. You know, and I interview people who are older than me on this show and they're still kicking ass, but I can't even see my Garmin now without increasing the font or wearing fucking readers. I'm wearing glasses right now. I have to tilt my head back to look at the computer screen. Because that's that's where the bifocal is. I can't even train hungover, you guys. And I'm going to get a little personal with you. And my prostate. (laughs) (laughs) You see, I recently hopped on the bike (laughs) as usual. But I didn't notice that. um, I'm being very candid with you guys here. I didn't notice that my saddle had slid back just a skosh, just a little bit, right? Wouldn't have made that much of a difference back in the old days. But with the Leadville plan I set up, because I'm coaching myself, I'm a cheap bastard. I wanted to, I wanted to hit right away with some good, you know, one and a half, two hour stretches, three to five times a week, just to get the body going, get some of those base, that base fitness going in, and stuff like that. Compound that with a bad position, my old ass body. You guessed it. <laughs> I hurt. I hurt my. Um, oh yeah, they call it prostatitis or a uh, bruised perineum. <laughs> Shit. So it means I'm, well, what does it mean? Well, I'm I'm like one of those commercials, you guys, sucking down saw palmetto and cranberry like it's Halloween candy, Joining my daily regimen of anti-inflammatories, and I'm forcing myself to stay off the bike for a week or so. <laughs> I know you guys don't want to hear this, but screw you, it's my podcast. So here I am, resting my taint three weeks into the program. I even had to run today. I had to run today. By the way, that's six more signs to the apocalypse. Pat Bulger ran indoors. So I, I guess that's where today's guests actually fit into the show. All right. Each of my guests today, I got two on the show today, two separate interviews that I had. You know what? And with the timing, there was no way I was not going to throw them both up there at the same time they both great interviews, and each of them kicks serious ass, all right? Each of them has had to come back from an absolute brutal injury within the past year, and they have returned to crushing it. My guests today are going to be Ryan Trebon. If you know Ryan, you know the cyclocross scene. Absolute stud in cyclocross. Spent his time on the mountain bike, but cyclocross is where he, found, he has found his niche and his home. Uh, great guy to talk to. Also, another legend in mountain bike racing going on over 40 years. David, or you know him as, Tinker Juarez. Um, it was cool to talk to both these guys. Um, these guys crashed hard in races, destroyed themselves. And you're going to hear about the crashes in the interviews. And they got their everything back together. And their injuries are absolute stuff of legend. The crashes just sound epic. Just brutal, you know, flying off the bike. Ah, Get back on. Ah, Fight, fight, fight. Go, go. Pat Bolger, by the way, he injured himself. Oh, yeah, he just hurt his his no-no area riding in the fucking basement. So there you go. I, I don't get the cool drama. I don't get the cool injuries. I just have to pee five more times a day. Don't send me cancer fear. Let's look. Let's just. Fuck it. Let's talk to Ryan Turbon, shall we? 10 questions with. All right, everybody. If you're a follower of cyclocross, you've definitely heard of today's guest. Multi time national champion in cyclocross and in mountain bike racing. Constant fixture at the front of the U.S. elite cyclocross field. And although it's not around with us anymore, the last winner of the U.S. Grand Prix of cyclocross. He's a member of Team Cyclocross uh cannondale cyclocross world i screwed that up welcome ryan trebon how are you man
3: i'm doing pretty well thanks for having me
2: hey no not a problem um you know i I got a bunch of questions but i want to get to kind of the serious stuff first here and if you don't mind you know on the 16th this month you released an announcement stating your uh you chose not to uh, take your nomination for the worlds and after a real strong return from injury you made a pretty good showing over at nationals. Was there a specific reason why you, why you kind of went that way?
3: Well, you know I earned uh, a qualified you know we have qualification for world with a variety of different standards, right and so uh, through cross Vegas, you know my finish at cross Vegas was a good enough finish for me to qualify for the world championships, and I felt good at the beginning of the year and then I had some uh, kind of hernia disc. Uh, back problems and I just I lost a lot of fitness and I don't I just wasn't I didn't feel competitive enough um to be anything more than a participant in the race right yeah. so for me like I I've, I've had a ton of experience racing in Europe and I don't need to go over there for the experience anymore I want to go over for a result and uh if I'm not going to get the results that one I kind of expect from myself and two that my sponsors kind of expect from us and it's um you know, kind of a waste of time and money to do both of them, you know, so um, I just wasn't, I didn't feel confident enough that I'd be able to race for a a good finish, you know, I didn't want to finish 30th or 40th in the race, so I decided that it would be best time would be best spent getting 100% healthy, my back better, and just kind of getting ready for next year.
2: Well, that's got to, yeah, man, not to kind of you know fill you up, but that's got to take quite a bit of professionalism on your part to be able to kind of say, hey, you know, and I read an article about you stating something about this types of stuff, about participating, and just being a participant is one thing, but but you're not really going over there to do that. Um, do you ever, I mean, and I, I have a friend who asked me this question to kind of refer to you, do you ever get tired of the concept where they constantly refer in racing about the top American finisher as opposed to... The top finishers, they use that term top American.
3: Yeah, I think it's just a way of making someone feel better about inadequate results, right? (laughs) So if you finish 30th and you're the top American, well, it's like, whoa, third and everybody else is stuck. You know, (laughs) for me, it's like that doesn't really, that, I never go to a race and go, oh, if, you know, Jeremy's in 12th place and I'm in 13th, I'm like, I gotta be Jeremy's and be the top American. I'm like, well, no, I'd rather just keep racing, trying to get to the front of the race and do well, you know, it doesn't me being a top American, like I kind of hope all of us are in the top 10, you know, and so that doesn't matter It'd be to me at all. I think it's just something to make people feel better about the result that they got.
2: You and your career. Cur-
1: like an right? No, well, yeah,
2: no. And it's just, I mean, I it it doesn't, I don't want it to sound like I'm belittling the finish or something like that, but for for people like you and at your levels, you'd constantly, I would think you'd want to be going, Hey, you know, we're, look at what we're doing. You know, we, we, we're getting there kind of a thing. I don't know if I'm saying yeah, it right. Yeah, you
3: always want to be the top finisher, not just the top finisher yeah. of a subcategory to a subcategory, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So your career, at least a lot of your finishes and stuff like that, obviously pretty damn impressive. I, I noticed that you don't spend a lot of time overseas. Is that a personal choice? Is that where the team takes you, or is or what's what's your choice? You know, it's,
3: it's honestly just been the last, couple years. Um, you know, in 2005, six, seven, eight, and nine, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, more time than anybody else over in Europe besides Paige, you know, racing. And I got the experience I wanted. Um, not the experience I wanted. I got the, I did what I wanted to do over there. Um, I, It's just, I don't, I enjoy racing over there a lot. Yeah. I don't enjoy living over there for extended periods of time. Um, I find I just, it's, you know, it's a different lifestyle, and right? I just, yeah. I find my motivation and my fitness kind of goes down the more time I spend over there, so you spend two or three weeks, you're okay, but if you start spending, you know, that month, or two months over there, it's just really hard on uh, me mentally to keep motivated, because, you know, I have a life here, Yeah, um, everything I, you know, we live on the West Coast, it's a great place to live, you know, and so it's, being in Belgium is just different, and, you know, and you're so removed from your family, and in friends being over there i just had a hard time constantly being motivated to go over there and, and stay it's the racing and going to the races and stuff is all easy and i dig that part and i really like racing over there but i just have a hard time living over there you know it'd be different if i have my family and like a, a more support structure there but when you're there by yourself or when you're there with two other people you just I need a little more a life than just going to the mic race.
2: Yeah, no, I completely understand. It's almost like that bike monk mentality where you're just stuck living that one solitary existence the entire time.
3: Yeah, you know, like it's just the I like to do the normal things. I like to get up in the morning, drink coffee, go take my dogs for a walk, go ride my bike, and then, you know, live a, a normal life and not just sit in a hotel room or a yeah. place to, you know and a couple other people. So.
2: Not to get all uh, reminiscent and stuff like that, but but why cyclocross? What got you into that originally?
3: Um, you know, I was racing mountain bikes. I started racing mountain bikes. I think because you know, when I was a kid, I just started riding mountain bikes, and it's it's fun. And then I started racing cross, and I I, I just enjoy the technical aspect of it. I enjoy like the group dynamic of racing, and it's just for me, it's it's that kind of effort that I like. It's that really like hard efforts where the bikes sliding around a lot and then you, know, you have moments of recovery and then it's just like a, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to say. It's just fun for me. I've always enjoyed that kind of, the, kinda, wait, the there, kind of racing that we do.
2: There but, are moments of recovery in a cross race. Cause I sure as hell haven't found them yet. <laughs>
3: well, I think it's, it's different, you know, when we race at the front, I think it's a lot different than when you're that's That's you know. That's, so that's my problem.
2: Hard. I got you. No, yeah. that, I understand now. That makes a hell of a lot more sense. Um, so mountain bike into cyclocross. Um, and I, I did, as I said, I've been in research for this. I did read an article. You wrote about um, cross, mountain, cross and mountain riders versus roadies and um, not to cause any controversies or strike up this, you know, us versus them thing. But is there a a reason why you chose primarily to stick to the dirt and and what your what your thoughts are on the roadies?
3: Um, I just enjoy it a lot more. I enjoy yeah. the the people in the scene and stuff like that. I think um, the road racing tends to everybody believes it's a bigger deal than it is or <laughs> that they are right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I felt. I've raced for a couple of different like you know professional road teams, and there's a lot of great people on the road. It's just you know all my stuff it's it's mellow and there's you know once the race goes it separates pretty fast and there's no lying if they're good or not you know on the road you kind of fake it for three or four hours and it just seems like you know I don't know it just I, it it never really sat with me I always enjoyed a race on the road and I always enjoyed that kind of effort but I, I didn't really enjoy the the camaraderie between it I don't know it's <laughs> I don't know if it's it's hard to explain right.
2: Well, yeah, and I, mean, I hate to use, I hate to refer to the, the E word, the elitist word, but there is that mystique. Um, I my personally came from a road background, and um, there is, I will meet people occasionally who have that, that attitude about it, and, and I will say that my time spent on the dirt is is a lot different. You know, hell, my days in mountain bike racing, you know, when you see a downhiller pull up to the start and throw a cigarette out before he, you know, he, he tears into it, is, is uh, you know you're in a different environment.
3: Yeah, you know, I, I
2: just think sometimes. I mean,
3: I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Like, you kind of nicely, right? I think some yeah. people just on the road on the, on the road to that stuff. It's well, they're, everybody's trying to fit into the scene and yeah. be cool and act professional. And I think a lot of like the non bike stuff people are just into it
2: because yeah. they
3: enjoy it and stuff like that. because you're outside in the dirt and get muddy, you're not trying to wear you know, look clean and wear the newest Roth outfit and show up to a group ride that I'll, I'll pro it out, you know, and I just, that's why, I mean, I've, like, most of my friends that I grew up racing with were, you know, the least, you know, we are professionals, but we don't look like professionals, right? <laughs> okay. We go out there and ride around in t-shirts and shorts and stuff and just, you know, we just enjoy what we do and and it, I think it shows kind of in our attitude and kind of how we handle ourselves at races and around people and you know, for me, that's what I like most.
2: Okay. Would you agree that Cross is in the midst of some sort of a of a growth boom right now?
3: It's definitely been growing. I think yeah. what we're in the midst of is too much growth without enough direction, right? Really? Um, and so now we need to kind of rein in where we're growing to, right? And so it's like a... That's like a tree that's just kind of being let to do whatever it wants, and it's just kind of taken off. But now we need to kind of prune it into the proper direction for the health of the whole sport, right? Do
2: Do you have any anything? Any, you know, I don't. Again, I don't want you to you sound like you know you're turning into a big bitch match or something like that. But what's what's no, wrong no, with it? No, you sit no. It's, I'm it's, I'm. I feel like I'm kind of making these questions sound like that, and I don't want to just do that. But you know, there are some no, problems. Totally,
3: I mean, I, I never mind my opinion, you know, and one uh, way or the other, you know, it's just a. Uh, I I think there's a a lot of people want to be involved and a lot of people want to do things, but I think a lot of people are doing things that they're not necessarily good at. Right. Okay. And so I think some of the races need to kind of scale back and we don't need to have so many races, but we need to have higher quality events. Um, and so we have, we have a lot of quantity right now, but we don't have a lot of quality. And I think the quality is what's going to build a little, kind of a long-term, lasting um, professional sport. You know, the amateur side of the sport's great. You know, it's, it's done really well. Um, the professional side, I think, is really struggling right now. Um, just in terms of number of big teams, number of riders being able to make a living from it, um, in terms of media coverage and everything yeah. like that, I think we need to have, you know, instead of having this you know, schedule of 50 races, we need to have a schedule of 10 races, you know, where they're really important, 10 races, instead of just vaguely important fifty races.
2: What makes a race quality? Um, promoter, you know.
3: They people talk about courses, you know, courses yeah. are we
2: had last year's na- are, last year's nationals versus shit. this year's need- nationals. What's that? For example, last year's Nationals versus this year's nationals, we obviously had huge course problems huh. and, and, and changes from that. Well,
3: so Yeah, but it's not so much, you know, it's it's course tape in a field, right? It it's that's not what makes a race well um, you know, it's the coverage of the race, yeah. kind of the setup and the whole thing. And I think, you know, being able to put a schedule out and, and sticking to it and having sponsors there and having it look good, you know, like that, that's a, that's really important. You know, like the courses, for the professionals, the course doesn't really matter. We can, we're going to make the race what it is. Well, whatever it is, is going to be what it is. You know, like it, if it's, that's a good course. we we'll race is just as hard as a shitty course, you know, yeah. so. Um, I think for us, it's kind of an organization and a structure behind it that matters more in terms of long-term viability.
2: So, so it it, it is really a sport. We got to admit, just ripe for media coverage. I mean, with the with the smaller contained, with the crowds, with the, you know, you're multiple times. It's short, it's quick, and and that sort of the thing. And is why aren't we? Why isn't the U.S. developing it as way as it should, in your opinion?
3: Oh, I don't know, you know, um, <laughs> what, you don't uh, have all the
2: answers. Come on.
3: Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know why it, you know I mean? Cycling is a tough, tough sale in, in, in any arena. You know, I think the road racing, you know, if you look at it, people think that the road's doing really well and it is in some markets, you know, like, but there's also, you know, there's still professional races in Europe that are folding, but have TV covers yeah. and have all this stuff, you know, it's just, it's expensive and there's not a lot of return, you know, and I think when you're sponsoring recycling cycling, you're basically just doing it because you like it, you know, and you do get a small return. I think if you're a manufacturer, you get a really good, bigger term, but I think if you're a non-endemic sponsor, you're doing it because you want to be involved. You like the kind of scene and the atmosphere it provides. I don't think you do it for necessarily like this, you know, the ROI isn't going to be, you know, isn't going to be as good as you can get other places, but I think it's a, it's a good investment for people I just think it's you know it has to i i honestly have no idea you know the way forward and what's the best route about
2: well, here we are in a country where immediate gratification is kind of the payoff. You know, we have to have our sports with high scores. We have to do all this kind of stuff. And I remember back in the, well, probably the 80s or 90s when the the Criterion Road Crit series were huge because downtowns could hold them and they were really quick. The audiences got into them, fans showed up, things like that. And. And for me, it just seems like cross would be the ideal for that, and especially because the fan base, current fan base, is a rabid fan base. They're into it. And oh, I, yeah.
3: But, you know, I, I, I always look at it like this way. I equate um, cyclocross to motocross, and road racing is kind of like supercross, right? Supercross is indoors. It's yeah. pretty clean. and It's not, you know, I mean, to go outside, and you're talking, you're talking about doing a winter one, and you're talking about out outside in the winter too and you're talking about you know the elements and so you have to you have to want to be out there if you're going to go out and stand in the mud and the rain and the cold you know and so that's the hard though i think for a cross because you're trying to convince people to spend their day and then go outside in inclement weather and spend their day you know and so that's why you get these fans and then the people that like the racing really like the racing because they're like i'm out here regardless man i don't care yeah. like, i don't care if it's shitty or not you know and so that's the awesome part about cross, cyclocross to me is it's a lot like motocross, you know, like motocross fans and motorcycle fans are hugely passionate people, you know, and they love the race and they don't care if it's muddy or if it's hot or if it's anything, you know, they just want to be out there and watching the racing. So I would take, you know, 10,000 super passionate fans over 50,000 just kind of passive fans any day.
2: Yeah. Do you see it as an Olympic sport? I've heard grumblings and rumors that it would, it would fit in in some way, shape or form.
3: Um potentially. You know, I don't think we I don't think it has enough country participation. Um, you know, from kinda of international. Yeah. I think it's mostly a European, North American market, you know, there's nothing from South America, there's nothing from Asia, you know.
2: Yet and, figure and, skating you know, is popular.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's and it's a wintertime sport. Yeah. So it's the same as kind of cross country running, you know, like it has to the one of the stipulations has to be practice on snow or ice, you know, and while we do race on snow and ice occasionally, it's not, you know, it's not a norm. It's more abnormal than anything. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's it's necessary for it to be part of the Olympics for the growth. Um, but I think it can stand by itself. I don't think the Olympics at the end-all be-all for oh, sports, no. anyways.
2: Yeah, of course not. So, in terms of your preparation and and how you prepare yourself throughout the season, um, you're still racing off road, correct?
3: I do a couple mount. I, you I, I really up. scaled back the racing outside of cross the last couple of years, just because the amount of time you're gone during the, the winter racing and the yeah. of kind of effort you need to have, because the level of racing's picked up. That I think I've just kind of as I've gotten further in my career, I've kind of just more focused on cyclocross than anything else. So,
2: so after after a pretty good career going, you're obviously self trained. You're not relying on a coach every day in day out. Is there a specific tactic or strategy you take to get yourself ready?
3: You know, I've actually been using, it's funny, I've been using the same coach since 2004. Oh, really? Um, this guy named Jim Lehman, yeah. And we, you know, we talk more as he's like someone I can fight in and someone I kind of just bounce ideas off of more so than like a daily structured training um, thing. It's always nice to have someone that you trust and can count on, you know, to give you their honest opinion. Versus, And so I've used him more in that manner than, you know, like a daily interval training kind of coach, you yeah. know.
2: Do you uh? Is is it primarily? I, mean, I I don't know. In terms of ramping up, obviously you've got to be ready. You know, you got to start hitting it pretty hard. I would assume late summer, and things like that. And and how long does the season go? I mean, when do you kick in? I've seen you at some events in the summer months doing cross. And I mean, does that just keep yeah. expanding?
3: No, we typically you know like I mean we start racing. I start we start. There's local races starting you know end of August in Oregon. And I'm, you know, I don't really do those so much for like training more. It's just kind of get your body accustomed to be on the bike for an hour, you know, and that solid effort, you know, because you do all your training and stuff, but it's just different when you're racing around on bumpy trails and stuff like that. And so it's kind of getting your hands used to it in your shoulders, your arms, just used to riding the bike for an hour off road, um, you know, like constant, because when you do trails and stuff, you kind of slow down you take your time and you dig around in certain areas, but when you're doing a local race, you're still on it for an hour, you know, and so. Um, I do yeah I do a ton of just volume stuff mostly spring and summer and then you know July and August start working on like the intensity and getting ready and hopefully it's good enough.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you sustained the the back injury was that last year?
3: Yeah, two thousand fourteen September. I I crashed in a local race here like four days before Vegas and fractured five vertebrae. Oh God. And I had 11 total rib fractures um so yeah it's a pretty significant injury you know and I kind of lied to myself a bit about how serious it was and brushed things a, a lot more than I should have and it just kind of bit me in the ass all season and then pretty much until July of, of 2015 you know and so a year of just being just dealing with it and being uncomfortable and once I finally got around a handle on that, I hurt myself again doing something, you know, Oh God. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's one of those things like, you know, I mean, I've been racing bikes for 20 years now and it's just cumulative over the years of beating up on yourself. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I, and I don't really take care of myself as good as I should. <laughs> I, you know, I like, I just like to run it till it breaks and then try and fix it, you know, versus doing like the preventative maintenance. And so, um, <laughs> but we're getting. Uh, I'm, as I've gotten older, I'm kind of learning that I have to actually try and take care of my body because it's not it's not lasting as good as I would hope it would sometimes.
2: Well, shit. Yeah, I mean, what was the crash for the listener who's who's not up to speed here? Um, that doesn't. That's not just an average little going over the bars and oh yeah, I just tweaked my back. No, it's like fuck. How many vertebrae or something like that? What? So what? What was well, the incidence that I, caused it?
3: Well, what happened is. You know, we were doing a local race, and it has a section of this big, long sand section. And there was one line that everybody had been riding. And I was like, "Well, you know what? I'm gonna take this like straight line it." And so I sprinted into the section, going really fast, um, first lap of the race, dude. And I hit a rut, and it dropped my front wheel. And oh. then, as I dropped the front wheel, and my weight shifted. I went over the handlebars at probably 20 something miles an hour. <laughs> which normally isn't a big deal. You know, you land on the ground and you just kind of roll. Yeah. But what happened is I went over the handlebars and I landed to kind of like a sand embankment. And so all my momentum just stopped. I just came to a complete stop and oh. I just, you know, I pressed into the ground and no dissipation of force. It just all into my body. And I just, you know, I hit it and I was like, shit that hurt i got up and i was just like oh man that did not feel that good you know and i didn't think it was that bad i thought i just kind of like you know you hit the ground you got up up. so i got up and i you know i started like dusting the getting the sand out of my helmet and stuff like that and i was like gotta continue the race but it just like the pain kept escalating and about 45 minutes afterwards i made someone give me a ride home because i had ridden out to the race um and i couldn't get out of the car like my body had like seized up and i It physically took every ounce of energy I could to just get out of the car, and that's probably the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life.
2: Oh, my God. You know, the
3: crashing didn't hurt, and, like, I didn't really have any pain associated. You know, I mean, it it hurts to hit the ground, but it didn't, like, you know, I felt a lot worse hitting the ground. I hit the ground a multitude of times in my career. and
2: This
3: is definitely not the worst crash I've ever had, but it definitely was the most severe injury one I've ever had. So,
2: When you've got all that adrenaline going and everything's just pumped up, yeah, absolutely, it's going to... Well, oh my God.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's just, I think bike racing, you just, you, you crash, all right, well, shit, pay back up, you know, in yeah. a race, you got to keep going, they're not yeah. waiting for you, you know, so I think that's always the instinct, is just to keep going.
2: And so sometimes you get up and you're like,
3: oh, fuck, I shouldn't get up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lay back
2: down. Yeah. I've got some friends who are uh, – actually, my son, who's a soccer player, I'd love to have him uh, listen to that last part just again because, you know, they go down and they're down. And then it's like, Jesus, come on, remember your bike racing days when you get up and go, well, my shorts are still here, so I guess I'll keep going. You know, I'm not flashing yeah, the audience. Well,
3: really. you know, in most of the sports, they, you know, they, they stop the game. Yeah. The game stops, you know, and like – I agree. They don't—they don't wait for you. You know, they just keep moving.
2: Yeah. So. so now that now that the worlds are are off the table, you're taking a little break from that. Um, what's what what are you working for? What what's on the horizon here?
3: For me this year? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Still working <laughs> on. I, I'm 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 uh, hoping to find another contract for racing for another couple of years. I'm working on all that. A couple different fronts at the moment. But oh, really? Okay. Other than that, just yeah, just. Getting, getting, hopefully getting things ready for next year. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much it. I don't want to stop racing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to stop racing yet. So I'm hoping to race for like two or three more years before I retire, and then uh, we'll see. So.
2: Is does a cyclist ever retire? or Is it just you're gonna you're gonna pull back in about three years?
3: Well, I'm gonna retire from racing full time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, when I I'm not for sure when I get done racing um, professionally, I'm not gonna. I'll still be involved. I like cycling and stuff, but I don't think I'll race um, on a weekly basis or do stuff, you know, outside of that. I think once I get done racing, I'll have, I'll have had enough um, competition, you know, and I just would rather ride my bike for fun and do other things and yeah. not try and race, you know, I don't, it just, for me, that doesn't, because it, it's, just, it's hard to ride or do races now when you're not fit. Cause once you know, it's like you fit, it's really sucks to race when you're not fit so yeah <laughs> and you know like, i don't understand i, I mean my have thoughts to people and they like you know i just show up in events and in race and they know they're not good and it's just like a suffer the whole way and like that to me is not as much fun as making other people hurt, you
2: know? Well, thank you. You've just explained my entire post adult <laughs> cycling career. So I appreciate that. Totally.
3: Just like, I'm, you just go out there and get your ass kicked all the yeah. time. And you're just like, oh, this isn't that much fun anymore. Yeah,
2: I'm the stupid <laughs> asshole to start cracking jokes. And then about three laps in, I'm going, oh, shit. Why do I drink so much beer? So, yeah. Oh no, it's fun at the start, and then I realize I paid to do this to myself, and that kind of a thing. So, so I got I got to ask this question, and it is it is um, by no means an attack to anybody who lives in the city of Bend, but um, uh, what is so famous and so awesome about living in Bend, Oregon, is is it a less expensive Boulder with less elitism?
3: Well, you know, actually, I just moved to Portland last week. Oh, um,
2: Trader. So,
3: yeah, but, you know, like, I mean, Bend's a great place to live. Uh, I like living in Bend as a town. I think it's, you know, during the summer and stuff, like the access to mountain biking is just phenomenal during yeah. the summer. You know, it's, you can do huge rides and right from your house. Um, the road riding is pretty, pretty average. Um, it's just a nice town. It's small, it's convenient, you know, it's easy to live in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's well, I just I think Ben's definitely a lot better than Boulder in some regards. It's a smaller town, you know, and it's not attached to Denver and so it's you know, people think Boulder's kind of a small town, but it's still surrounded on the front range oh, by yeah. you know, four million other people, you know. So that's <laughs> our Ben's pretty remote and removed from you know, three hours from pretty much anywhere else. Um I don't know. Well, I mean Ben's a great it's a it's a nice environment and it's it's Oregon, you know, like Oregon's just if you're not from Oregon you don't understand what it's like here, you know, people. If you live here you know why you live in Oregon, you know? Yeah, here I was going here <laughs> I was
2: I was planning on giving you a, a little bit of shit about it, but now you pulled this I moved to Portland on me, so I look like a complete dipshit.
3: Well, I like Portland. Portland's got <laughs> great bike riding and the road ride around here is great, you know, the only thing I I miss has been this that's just mountain biking. Yeah. Um but you know, I mean there's things in life that cause you to go other places and it's just one of those reasons why. So
2: all right. Okay. Cool, man. Hey. So, before I let you go, I've I um and this again has nothing to do with the sport, but um on all of my research about you, I hear and see things about this uh this dog of yours, this now apparently famous dog. And um who owns who here? What's well, the deal?
3: Frank is the dog. <laughs> I don't own Frank. Frank doesn't own me. He's just he's <laughs> here. He's my buddy, man. Like you know. Well, I think I
2: heard him in the background.
3: Yeah, no. I, right when I walked in the house, he, he was out running around. He's a great dog. He's super mellow and six years old now. Um, okay. By far, coolest dog I've ever met. So
1: well, <laughs> right on. lucky
3: enough to have him around.
2: Well, okay. Well, I, you know, first of all, I I do want to say that uh, to for me as a guy who's never been, had the opportunity and having a having a world's opportunity thrown in his lap and to and to have the humility and the the professionalism to say, you know, I'm good this year. Um, I, I not to kiss your ass, but I applaud you for that, man. And um, well done on the recovery. To to be able to take something that harsh and personally, I would have said, okay. Maybe I'll I'll go sell bikes somewhere for a living or something like that. So, so um, I I applaud well, you, man. You know,
3: it's physically, it's never it's never overcoming injuries. I think physically is pretty easy. You know, you put the time and the work. It's yeah. Kind of like the, you know, it's the mental side of it that's really hard because it's it's one of the things that people don't know how injured you are and they don't know what you're dealing with. You know, and so it beats you up every day. You know, you get up and you feel like shit and you ride and you feel like shit. Um, and then, you know, you spend six months getting ready for a season and then you have one crash and all that work is for not, you know? And so it's just like all the sacrifice you just made, you don't get to use any of it. You know, I think that's the hardest part about ever being injured is there's so much preparation that goes into getting ready for a season. And then when it's taken away, it's just like shit. Yeah. Like now starting from scratch again, you know, with that constantly rebuilding, I think is the hard part about racing.
2: Well, I applaud you, man. You guys are brutal out there. I, I'm the guy who's standing there on the side of the course just watching with my jaw on the ground because my, my cross skills are pretty weak, so I'm, I'm, I'm confessing that right now. Um, in fact, I'm the guy who there was a running joke there for a while that I was the guy that the guys who would lap me would come by, and it was like, hey, dude, you got to slap Bulger on the ass when you come by. And so they, they think that's really fucking funny, but it's, it it you know. It gets a little hurtful after a while, and I mean it—it it hurts. So. <laughs> well, you just uh, you gotta,
3: you let go of the brakes. You know?
2: Yeah. Th- that's—I uh, don't know. I shit. I don't know. Here, I, you know, these are guys I can hang with all summer long, and then all of a sudden, even on the mountain bike, I can hang with them, and then we get to cross, and I'm fucked. So, but <laughs>
3: what are you gonna do? Well, there's different horses for different courses. Yeah. Right?
2: <laughs> Thanks. I and, and you just hit the nail on the head again. Everybody, Ryan just called me a horse. <laughs> hey thanks for your time man It's good talking with you No problem There you go Ryan That guy is cool isn't he I kind of felt like a nerd Hanging out at the cool table with Talking to him on the phone His demeanor is just cool And it's not like he's doing it intentionally It's just, I, he's, it's just natural with him Even the way he uses The word shit is cool like seasoning for his sentences or something like that. I I force it. As one of you guys rated on the podcast many years ago. It's like it's like I'm trying to swear just to earn an explicit rating. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. What an injury, too. You know, not to mention he got back up on his freaking bike and rode. Good luck to Ryan, man. Somebody make sure you get him sponsored. If you are a corporate guy with a big bike budget, get on that guy. I don't know if he's racing again for Canada, Cyclocross World or not. But, boy, oh, boy, somebody got to pick him up. The world needs more cool, approachable bike racers like that. And speaking of which, part two of our episode today. Let's go talk to Tinker Juarez. Everybody, this is a selfish treat here. As you might know, I've been racing for a long time. I was there when helmets were optional. I was there when the clipless pedal came out, and I was there when mountain biking, as they call it, or I just call it mountain bike racing, was born. Speaking of when uh, mountain bike racing was born, nobody can speak of the greats of the sport without mentioning today's guest. He started racing BMX, according to my research, in 1974. Qu- switched to cross-country Off-road racing, 1986, turned pro in 89, and hasn't looked back since. In fact, he's still going strong, you guys, and kicking ass recently his past weekend. He holds eight national championships, a Pan Am gold, two Olympic appearances, and was inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 2001. Big pleasure for me to welcome David Tinker Juarez to the show. How are you, man?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing?
2: Good. Thanks. Um, Well. I gotta ask, and I gotta get straight to the point right out of the gates, man. Your Uh, career spans over forty years. How in the hell have you been able to keep going at such a high level for so long? uh,
1: The man (laughs) upstairs. Yeah, I I pretty much just thank God. You know, you know, I try to thank him every day, but I I definitely forget a lot. But um, he always is, and you know, he gives me the power. And uh, I, I don't, I don't do much church, and I don't do much Bible reading or anything like that. When I was a kid, I grew up and I went to church, you know, on Sundays, you know, with my parents. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I tried to stick with it, but, um, but you know, things have changed as you get older. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, I, I just know deep inside that, you know, he gave me the strength and power to, you know, do what I'm doing. So I'm just thankful to do it, you know.
2: Dude, that's really cool. Um, is there a, a, just in terms of the motivation to stay at such a high competitive level, it's got to take a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, most most other guys are, you know, they're doing something someplace else or selling bikes or something like that. You're still doing this. Yeah,
1: That's true. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't really understand it, but um, all I know is that uh, I, growing up, I you know, when I started BMX as a kid, uh, you know, I, uh, I I just loved riding my bike, and uh, and every chance I got it you know, every time I got home from school, I met up with friends, and we went to a park. And back then, when I started, uh, it was like in the early 70s, um, you know, I started racing at this park called Hollyfield Park in Norwalk in California, and... um <clears throat> And we used to just meet there and there was no races going on, but there was just this big pile of dirt on this in the park and it was big enough to make a track on there. And I, I did not make the track, but there was, there was a track on this, you know, on this hill and, and we used to meet there and we used to just ride this, you know, race track, <laughs> and a, sooner or later it became a racetrack. And, uh, uh and then I showed up and, and started racing at this park because it was just, a, you know, like two blocks away from my house. So- um, and I just stuck with it. You know, I, I love the feeling of racing and competition and things like that. Uh, uh, you know, then, you know, getting a a bike shop sponsor was really fun and, uh, and, and thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, and, and, you know, and just, you know, just kept on sticking with it and, and, you know, getting more sponsors and stuff like that. It was, you know, it just felt really cool. And, um, before you knew it, I was racing, you know, from like seventy three to uh by ninety five or seventy five yeah i'm i'm sorry <laughs> brains kind of you know floating left and right right now, but, not a worry uh, yeah anyways uh I was the youngest pro at age fifteen and that was in nineteen seventy five wow um when they had a pro class in b m x and uh I started when b m x kind of started you know there was you know it was just pie plates and you know fenders and all these funny, you know, (laughs) cool stuff that made your bike look like a motorcycle. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, race from 73 to 75 turned pro. And, and then in 76, I got my first big sponsor and that was Mongoose. And, um, and it was like, the, you know, the biggest, biggest thing in in my lifetime, you know, in this, any kind of sport. So, uh, so yeah, it was, you know, getting paid and and traveling all over the U S and, um, And I rode for Mongus for like uh, like six years. So uh, learning, you know, as a you know learning to become a professional at that age at 15, uh, I learned quickly that I really loved to stick with this, and uh, and I and I you know it was fun making money at the same time when you're still at high school. Was
2: it a pretty good uh, living, or was it just kind of getting you from race to race?
1: Actually, back then, it was, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, to me, it was, you I was making money and it was better than, you know, trying to work part time. And I was riding my bike and I was, you know, and traveling and everything was paid for. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what a lot was, but, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, go out and buy everything I wanted to buy. But, you know, it was able to, you know, make it fun and, you know, and keep me excited about it and you got um, to
2: you got to a pretty high level within the BMX circuit too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I think you know, well, I back in, you know, when I did join Longfuse, it was when BMX was just skyrocketing. Yeah. It it really just just jumped up, you know, big time and uh and I was at it at the right peak and uh and it was just a, a blast and, you know, it was, you know, just always uh, you know, hanging out with new people and stuff like that. And, um, it was just fun. And, um, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it was, uh, yeah, I, I just enjoyed it. And, um, um, you know, it was, you know, probably right after I got off Mongoose, I, I didn't just jump off Mongoose because, you know, I had, you know, it was, I didn't have a choice, you know, Mongoose wanted to change, uh, kind of change the, the, the image of the team and stuff like that. Really? Uh, and six six years was a long time but I, I definitely learned a lot and and it was a great time and it was you know the highlight of my career in bmx um so what prompted? after go ahead go ahead what prompted no, the, what gonna, prompted the switch gonna, to to
2: to the what's, what's prompted the switch then from bmx into mountain bike racing
1: well after i got off among of uh off the of mongoose I, I started getting smaller teams you know i was on the big team and when you Come off a big team, and then you all of a sudden are going on to smaller teams. Yeah, it's really hard to have such a big career at that time and age uh, to you know try to get back on a big team because in BMX it was really uh, uh, a lot of riders that would ride on teams would ride on there for more than one year, so it would really be hard to bounce you know push someone off. Yeah, on a big team, and you were on a big team, and then you then you came off a big team, and then you're trying to get back on a big team, and and it was just kind of a strange thing that I didn't think I had a chance of just okay i wanna you know i wanna get back you know you know to another big team, and uh it just didn't really happen that easy and, it, and it, I realized that it wasn't gonna happen, but um uh, but I just you know I needed to uh I, I did start it i was starting to feel a little bit not not as happy after you know you know things once once you hit you know you hit the highlight of a sport and then you're starting to hit the kind of the middle of the sport or kind of it's not as fun
2: No, I can't. Um,
1: when you were at it at, at the peak of it. And, um, and it was just, I think it was just the people around me. I think it was just an age thing. Um, I felt, you know, like, you know, people were just not happy. You know, just I, I just really felt uncomfortable. I don't know what it was about really? the people. Uh, um, I was actually even uh, when I was on smaller teams after mongoose like from, uh, I think it was like 82, 83, 84, 85, whatever. Um, I did get on some, you know, pretty decent team for, uh, for not a big name team. And, um, it was able to race for, um, all the way up to like 86. But, um, but I was starting to get, you know, even the pros that were on the big teams, like I was when I was riding for Mongoose, they started complaining that I was jumping gates and all this. And, and I wasn't actually jumping gates. Just people were just wanting to try to find new ways of just getting faster and just trying to get out of the – get a hole shot. And uh, I just kind of had this uh, this, uh, this new way of starting. And uh, I was not jumping the gate, but I was kind of rolling up the gate as the gate was falling. Okay. So when the gate actually hit the ground, I – you know, because the gate hit the ground, you know, a blink of an eye. But I was seen to get out, you know – most of the time with a decent hole shot. Um, when I didn't get a hole shot, I would be sitting at the gate because I spun because <laughs> I went too early. Yeah. So, um, but, mo- you know, majority of the time I would get some pretty decent starts and then they were thinking I was jumping the gate. And, and so I was just having these other pros protest. On me and I mean, and then it wasn't no fun anymore. Yeah. And this was going on for, you know, probably more than, you know, this years after years, And I was on a small team. And they were on a bigger team later in the years, and um, and I wouldn't get no, uh, I wouldn't get any respect. So, uh, so I had to, you know, I was just like, you know, tired of it. You know, I was the one that was like the bad person, and and so when officials looked at me, I was like, look, you know, they were watching me on the gate. I was nervous, and I would get bad starts all of a sudden, and uh, so I just, you know, uh, just kind of just dropped out of the the sport without, you know, it wasn't one of those things where all right, I'm checking out. I'm never going to come back again. You know, it was just, I was done with it. Um, and at that time it was around 86. I, um, I got picked up. Uh, no, the mountain biking just came into the sport, and I, 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 don't know how someone approached me. I can't remember who said, Hey, you know, would you like to try, uh, try riding, try riding one of these bikes? And, uh, and it was like a mountain bike, and uh, and it had you know the first thing I noticed it had like gears on it, <laughs> and and for 15 years racing BMX I was riding always with one gear, but all the years I was racing BMX you know you're always trying to find uh, you would change a gear or two, on the back or in the front just to change the the gear changing to make the you know for different courses. Yeah. And so you would learn you know you would you would learn by the courses what gear would still ride and then. Now I got a mountain bike that has all the gears that I need. And, uh, so it was, you know, it was a, it was an instant thing that I really liked. And, um, and I didn't actually know it was, you know, going to be a sport that was going to be, you know, a big sport or anything. I just was, you know, had a bike that was offered to me, given to me. And, uh, and that's kind of how I just, just, you know, blew off BMX and went straight into, uh, straight into mountain bike. And before he knew it, I was, uh, got picked up by a sponsor because they go, oh, you're, you know, you're who you are. And I know who you are. You've been racing BMX for a long, long time. And this would be a, a great sport for you because you really have the bikes, you know, the bike handling. Was,
2: was the fit, I, uh, what, what kind of fitness level was it in terms of a transition it, going from, because BMX is like a sprint. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I just, one thing right off the bat was, um, I just knew that, you know, I I was, you know, uh, breathing pretty hard and I just, you know, it was like, man, this is tough, you know, (laughs) know, because I had to ride, uh, you know, you know, a lot longer than uh, a few minutes on a BMX course. But, uh, but as far as handling the bike, it was a blast. You know, I was able to uh, adjust, you know, it took time, but I I knew I, you know, I adapted to the, the bike handling pretty quick, um, you know, riding off road and going downhill and, and uh and things like that, it you know just it didn't take long, but you know I had time to you know to learn all the things that I needed to learn,
2: yeah, and it's not like you were fifty pounds overweight or anything like that at the time, you were probably pretty quick in terms of gaining that fitness,
1: yeah, I just i I, yeah, I think so, but I also realized that you know i i I needed to do something to build up my endurance yeah. and uh and I think I I think what made me catch on because of, you know, the sport was all something growing faster than BMX, uh, that, you know, the guys that I was racing against were uh, guys that had road backgrounds. Yeah. And and, you know, I didn't know anything about road racing or anything like that. But I just go, you know, there, there's something about these guys that could ride fast and I needed to try to, you know, do something about it and I just got I eventually got a road bike and uh and just learned to uh you know, took, you know, just learned uh, what I needed to do on a road bike to, um, you know, to build up my, you know, my speed and all that, or my strength, or, you know, just <clears throat> try to figure out what they were doing to make myself be, you know, faster on a mountain bike.
2: Was it primarily self-coaching at the time, or is there somebody who kind of took you out and took showed you the the ins and outs um, of training?
1: No, back then you didn't know much about anything. You know, it was just a brand new sport. Um, I didn't think about coaching at all. I just, you know, I was uh, in a sport where everybody was like, you know, it was a new sport and everybody was just trying to figure out what's next, you know, and it just seemed like we were all just, you know, hey, there's, you know, there's, when there was a big race and we, we all went to it and uh, it was just a learning thing, you know, right off the bat, you know, we had, I had a chance every year to just, you know, to get better by um, just, you know, seeing how things were, you know, changing.
2: Wow. Especially because, uh-huh. I i mean, I know that, like, Ned came from a road background. Tomac came from a BMX background. Didn't he also?
1: Uh-huh. And yeah, then, and I think one of the things about Tomac is that, you know, he started road, you know, he figured out the road thing quicker yeah. than I did, meaning that I think he enjoyed, I think, I don't know exactly how it happened, but I think he, he seemed to found found a niche. Where he had people probably jumping on him to uh, get into road racing because of his, you know, his skills and his talent. Yeah. Uh, I think he was a bit younger than me, so he had, uh, you know, he had a chance to be able to get in it at a, you know, a, a you know, younger age. And uh, and I wasn't thinking about, you know, like moving from this sport to another sport. I was really no. happy where I was at, and it was, you know, a big jump from Mount, uh, from BMX to 15 years. Yeah. I just wanted to just grow with the sport and I, I, I love the things that were going on, you know, the changes. I mean, we went from, you know, like, uh, probably over, I don't know, 30 pound bikes maybe, or maybe heavier. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, nothing as far as suspension to, uh, you know, to riding the full suspension to, um, you know, riding, uh, uh, different puddles and everything was just new. Every time, every year something, you know, a lot of things came out there. You know, it wasn't just one thing. No. It was it... just all these, yeah, a lot of inventions were happening. You know, I was just like, you know, I was excited just to be able to get a chance to, uh, get offered all these things and everything was offered. And we were the guys that got to write it and, and test it and, and, you know, and give a thumbs up on it, you know, so to speak.
2: Well, that first, I, d- I do remember when, when you first really came hardcore onto the scene, it was with Klein and, um, that uh-huh. that team kit, man, for the '80s. I gotta tell you, that was the coolest thing in the world. You were everybody uh-huh. had these really conservative cl- uh, kits, and then you show up with this this Klein setup that was just, I mean, just out there, yeah, and it just, was awesome.
1: Yeah, just kind of like. Uh Time to adjust our lenses, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy, yeah. But I didn't expect it. I didn't know, you know, I actually I didn't go to the, the, you know, to the tables and say, yeah, this is the colors that we need to, you know, to <laughs> bling out there next year. <laughs> I just, they just gave it to me and then boom, I show up and then bam, it was like a, you know, like a big hit, you know? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was, I like color, you know, I was, I was always, you know, not, i never was a favorite with just you know, black and white, you know, I mean, I like white, but I just, it was just boring. You know, yeah. I, I, I need, I need some, you know, some roaring colors, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and those things really just, you know, just really, you know, made a, it, it made some noise, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah. and people still talk about it as today. day, you know, they occasionally I'll have people, I've had people in the past, you know, many years and, uh, talk about that you know, the client days and when I had this, you know, the the lightning and the thunder and the oh. clouds and all these crazy things. And, uh, and, you know, the grafting components with oh, the purple yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. And I mean, those, uh, was, were, was it
2: uh, at auto helmets that you Edo had to helmet, yeah, yeah.
1: Edo helmets. Yeah. helmets. Yeah. That was like, you know, people see me look like, you know, I was out there, but, you know, ready to do some rumble with somebody. Huh? <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool, you know, uh, and now I look at it, and I thought it, it, now it, you know, it really, back then, I didn't think twice about it, I just thought this was a cool helmet, it, it adjusted, Yeah. you know, you'd loosen it, you know, it had, like, little screws where you could it, it adjust the size of it.
2: Absolutely, and,
1: yeah. you know, and I thought it was the coolest thing back then, you know, but now that I think about it, you know, it, it did look pretty, uh, pretty, you know, pretty rubble-looking, you know. <laughs> um, you know, so... So, but, uh, it, of
2: all the things that have changed in the sport as it's gone, I think I read an article, an interview with you once uh, that you you were stating about the fact that that the racing style has changed, and this is one of the things that prompted you to kind of switch to to some of the endurance trends uh, the endurance events. Um, uh, you're talking about the changes in racing, and and what is what do you think has changed in the sport since? Obviously, since let's be honest that that birth that that huge creation of that sport yeah, you were part I, of.
1: You know, I. I started when, you know, when I was, you know, a full, full time, you know, cross country racer. And that was, you know, what the sport, you know, kind of was born, you know, it was a cross country race. And it wasn't talking about, you know, this guy did, you know, some, you know, hundred mile race or anything. Yeah. It was all about this cross country racing. And that was, that was kind of the birth of mountain biking. It was about cross country racing and, uh, and yeah, it was, you know, races weren't, they were, you know, they were, they were a blast. I mean, it was, you know, 30, you know, to 30 miles, you know, mostly averaging is no, no less than 30. I mean, it was, you know, over, you know, easily over 25, but in more than 30 and, uh, and we, you know, we went out and we did some big loops, you know, it was, uh, you know, we didn't do like one big gigantic, you know, 30 mile loop. It was, you know, it was, you know, chopped up into like, you know, three or four laps. And, um, and so, yeah, so it was, you yeah, know, that was, you know, what I was brought up doing. And that's what I trained, you know, that's what I was, you know, learned to do. And that's, you know, what I was training for. Um, but now, you know, um, well, now, but it's been for a while, uh, for a long time that the racing has uh, gotten shorter and shorter. And uh, and it's just made it for expectation, you know, yeah. spectator friendly type thing. You know, it's all about that. Uh, it's in every sport, you know. The more you could the more the crowd can certainly, you know, see the race and, and everything, the, you know, the better it is for TV and everything. Um, and I think that's kind of a drag uh, because I I enjoyed cross country racing when it was the real hardcore stuff um, where you go out and race, you know, do a 30 minute, you know, maybe a, a 30, 40 minute lap. Yeah. And and that's a really, you know, that's a that's a tough lap. And then you have to do, you know, three more after that or, you know, whatever. But now the races, I mean, they they specifically monitor laps that are under twenty minutes, and I was like, you know, that's that's you know, a cri- that's, crazy, that's a you know?
2: criterium. That's a circuit race.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely that. That's not anymore like a cross country race. Yeah. You know, That's you know, I don't I don't even know why they actually call it cross country racing, but you know, that's still the that's still what they call mountain bike racing. But um, it's it's definitely a, a different. It should be a different title. Um. Um, because the racing is it's more technical, and it makes it really hard for the riders that are, you know, seated from uh, 10th row and back or, you know, 10th yeah. rider and back. I mean, they have never, they won't ever have a chance, to ever get a chance to win these races because the track has to, uh, you know, every rider has to, you know, set up for these technical things, and, and there's only usually uh, maybe one or two lines, uh, you know, to, to really make it safe out of it know, to get through all these, yeah. you know, these obstacles that they put out there. And I think the obstacles have just really made the the top 10, you know, never get a chance. You know, they they don't, you know, have a, the other riders don't have a chance of catching them because it's, you know, it's just the, tr- the races are too short. And, and so, you know, it's a bummer, but it, it, it looks good, but um, hopefully it'll change a little bit. You know, I, I think that it's unfair because uh, the, the guys in the front know that, you know they they could easily uh the first lap they could you know pull throttle it and uh and the guys in the back will never have a chance, because every guy has to wait for their turn to get through all these technical stuff, and so you know it's it's not like the other riders are slower they just it's just the course of the way they're designed they're just not made for you know they're not made for sixty or seventy riders yeah and uh and you know they're only made for like maybe twenty riders max, but you know that is how it is, you know I'm, yeah. I'm kinda of, I'm very lucky that I'm able to continue, you know, bend racing as long as I have because of the sport has changed in a lot of you know, well not in a lot of directions, but you know, there's there's a lot of uh, other other things in this cross country. You know, there's you know, mountain biking is, you know, endurance racing, there's there's cyclocross racing, you know, yeah. and, and to me mountain biking reminds me of cyclocross, you know, it's it's just a short you know, uh, a big, you know, 30 minute, you know, race, and you know, and, and that kind of reminds me of what you know, um, what cross country is right now. Did Did it's, you it's expect all about the audience?
2: Did you expect such a such a smooth transition in endurance racing? Because man, you took it like a duck to water. You just took off. I mean, I remember seeing you in a lot of those races, and man, it just what kind of a transition is that? Mentally and physically, it's huge.
1: Yeah. You mean from going from the short, you know, kind of like the cross-country into the endurance thing? Yeah, from 35 miles
2: uh, to 24 hours, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I in 24 hours back in, like, around, I don't know, the year uh, 2000 or whatever, yeah. uh, somewhere around there, I think it, it was, you know, this 24-hour racing was, you know, starting to be a big uh, something new in it. And, uh, you know, it was in the magazines, and I started, like, reading these guys and, yeah, and they're writing up big stories about these 24-hour races. And uh, and I just enjoyed riding my bike every day. I wasn't, you know, really physically uh, training for cross-country. I just, you know, I just had the chance to ride my bike every day. And, and then sooner or later, you know, it just it gets more specific. You know, more yeah. you have to be more uh, focused on training specifically, you know, for cross-country. So it's more like intense training and all this kind of thing. And I just was more of a rider that just wanted to go out and ride my bike every day. And, and just, you know, and, you know, I, I used to never really have any kind of a, uh, you know, how long should I ride today and how many miles small and really? when do I need to rest? I just tried to ride every day and, uh, and it just caught up with me as, you know, the racing, the cross country got tougher. Um, I just started realizing that I was just doing too much before a, a cross country race. And then I would be tired on race day and, and a lot of most of the time, it just started showing that you know I I was feeling tired, but I felt great like you know the day before or the last you know two days before. Yeah. But but I just kept on like training, and never really giving myself enough rest recovery time, to have that just explosive power for the race day. Wow. So uh, I was just happy that there was all these other you know uh, events that were out there and and. At that time, Canada was just happy to just see me riding my bike. <laughs> and they say, hey, just do what you like to do. So that was a great, that was the, you know, the perfect opportunity, and I just jumped it at the right time. And, um, yeah, and I just stuck with, uh, you know, these long endurance racing. And, um, and, you know, I didn't, you know, need to train 24 hours. I just, you know, was able to train like I was. But then just that one weekend, you just had to, you know, rest up the week before to have that energy to ride for 24 hours. And so I just knew that I had to really give myself about a week, you know, yeah. a, a good rest to be able to have that one day to ride from noon to noon on Sunday, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it lasted. It was great. It was fun. It was, the sport was, you know, really, uh, it was a blast doing it back then. They had granny gear, they had these other twenty-four uh, hour race series and things like that. Yeah, and, oh yeah. And they were popping, you know, they were popping up everywhere. So I was, you know, excited, and a lot of times I would get invited to go to these races. So, uh, you know, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was fun. It was um, the atmosphere was a lot more mellow, and it was, you know, people were having a good time. You know, bring the family, bring their tents, and okay. all that.
2: Yeah, I was. That was
1: truly what I like about mountain biking. You know, I I I love to be outdoors and just being out in the you know the wilderness and and it was smelling that fresh air.
2: Those events were great. I mean, I was the I you I bet you remember this. No, um, I was the announcer at the that was the Subaru and then the Ford Gorge games out there, and I remember you attended both of those races and stuff like that. Yeah, that
1: was one of my favorite ones.
2: That was a great race.
1: Yeah, that was beautiful. I remember that, and then you had like Mount Rainier or whatever. Yeah. In the background, oh you know, yeah, this, Hood. you know it was like mind blowing, and that thing was like a like a moon glowing at night, you know, it was so <laughs> bright, you know, it was like it, you almost didn't even need light at that, that, you know, at it, some of those uh, those races, and it was it was just you yeah. Know, I live in L.A. I, I never get a chance, and so when I when I'm there and I see this, this is like you know that's that, you know the adrenaline that you get, you know, from just seeing these oh, kind yeah. of beautiful things in these different parts of this you know, yeah. state.
2: I think I owe you an apology, by the way, because you came into the tent one time for an ex- for a, a lap, and I I shot a picture of you and didn't realize my flash was on, and I think I blinded you. So <laughs> I, I I think I owe you a huge well, apology for that. About, day. about it. I've
1: had many other. Uh, <laughs> well, I you have... know, I I blind it. I every time I come in these twenty four hour races, turn off your lights, turn off the lights. Oh. And I go, huh, huh, what? Yeah. And I'm just looking right at them, right at their eyeballs, and they're just like, you know, you can see how red their eyes yeah. are.
2: I've been up for eighteen yeah. hours, man. You expect me to yeah. be awake enough to turn off my yeah, light?
1: Like you really want me to turn off my light when I'm going to be just like <laughs> checking out in one second from now? Exactly. Yeah, hey, uh,
2: you yeah. mentioned Cannondale, and you've been with them in, uh, basically since 1994. You're obviously happy with that fit. What was it about that? I mean, you mentioned that they were able to say, "Hey, we just want you racing your bike." What's What's made that such a great partnership? Um. Well,
1: the best. Well, the when the this started start off like right when I joined the team when it was global Canada in nineteen ninety four, uh Tom Schuller was a team manager and he put together the he got, you know, the global and he got yeah. Canadale and, and it was and like a super talked, team. Yeah, it was like the it, was, it was like the mega team of the, you know, back then. It was like, you know, to get a phone call and my mom got this phone call and, and Tom Schuler told us, you know, what the offer was. There was like, you know, there was, it was like, a you know, jumping up in joy for happy, you know, happiness, you know,
2: the heavenly choir. Yeah. It was
1: like, there was, you know, sorry, Klein, but you know, I, you know, I was very, you know, Klein definitely took me off to where I got, why I got onto Canyondale because, you know, Klein was, you know, most, you know, up to date, you know, they were just high tech back then, you know, they had this, you know, big tubing or they still make big tubing and, and all that, and, uh, and it was, like, the lightest bike I had ridden, and, uh, and, and at that time, Klein was just kind of lagging on a, an outside sponsor, and, and that was the only thing that really made me leave, because there was, you know, you couldn't, you know, there was just no dollars to match up with, you know, Klein, and, uh, and so, unfortunately, I had to leave him, and, uh, and, you know, you know, back then, you know, it was like a no-brainer, and, uh, and I, you know, I jumped on the, you know, I jumped with them, and, and Scott Montgomery, uh, you know, was, you yeah. know, and his dad was the owner of Canada. And, uh, they just, you know, just grabbed me under the wings and they just took it, took care of me like a family. And, and that was one thing I always learned about being in any team is like, it's a family thing. And when you think of family, you just think of, you know, you're going to do everything you can to uh, take care of your family. And that's just kind of how I you know grew up learning. And, um, and so I just, you know, I just always gave it, you know, try to give him my best as much, you know, you know, every day that I can. And, um, and so they, they just really, they really seen that and they really realized that Tinker is going out there and he's, you know, he's, he's promoting her bike and he's giving it a hundred percent. And, you know, he, you know, he talks with the people and he takes pictures with the people and, uh, and he, you know, he, I, I do what I could do, you know? And, um, and I, and that's one of the things why I love, you know, doing, why I've been doing it for so long, because, you know, I, I didn't get that kind of respect when I was in DMF, you know, now you get treated and then you really realize that there's a lot of good people all over the world. Yeah. You know, this is a great world, you know? And, you know, if you look at just what you see around you and you never leave there, it's always going to look bad. But when you really look at, you know, and you get a chance to travel and stuff, there's a lot of good people out there, you know? And, um, and I just realized, that, you know, and it was, you know, it was just a, it was just a great bond with Canada. And Scott, you know, Montgomery, he just really, he really just, he liked the image. You know, they were like an image type of thing. Yeah. They, they, you know, and that's just kind of how that, that Cannondale, uh you know, really liked me because I had my own image and I didn't realize I had an image. I just was me and, and I just been me ever since, you know. I don't really change much. I'm, you know, I'm pretty, uh, I'm a pretty quiet guy at home. And, uh, and you know, I just, I just make things, you know, make my life as easy as possible.
2: Wow. Now the, yeah. the now you're talking about, you know, I don't want to hold you too long, but you're talking about the, the family and how they took, how Cannondale's been a good people to, you know, take care of you and take care of those uh-huh. things. Last year, obviously, was it last year that the injury occurred? Correct.
1: Uh, yeah, it was just last year. I had my first, I had some bad accidents, but this one was, uh, one that I, you know, it's been a long time since I had a bad injury. I mean, I, I, I broke my, uh, my pelvis, uh, no way. my broke my, my femur. Yeah. A long time ago, and I was in Europe, and, and that was my first time I ever realized that I couldn't get myself off the ground without any help. Wow. And I was just like, you know, I it, it was not like, it was just a sharp pain that I was getting and that I never felt, and it would just hurt like crazy. It was just so, you know, and I just couldn't move, like, my leg, and it just, uh, just a little bit, it was just that painful. It was a really shockwave, and, uh, and you know, last year, I had my first back crash, and it was just... You know, I just was racing so much, and then, you know, you sometimes just, you know, you just go through the motions, but sometimes you just kind of forget about what you're doing. You know, you're out a race, and you go, okay, I'm out of race, I'm of starting line, go, now it's time to race, and then and, and you're going about your business, but, you know, you, you can't almost, you can't see everything that's going to come up and happen, you know, you, you, you're going to miss things. And I just somehow just didn't see something that just knocked me, you know, flipped me over my bike, and say okay, no I'm you know flying doing a flying w and doing a like a cartwheel in the air and and all I had all I knew is that I just I had I just knew I was launched off my bike and and this was not gonna be a pretty thing and I just closed my eyes I had my arms in front of me and somehow I just flipped did a flip over and I landed on my side of my hip and and that's when I uh, broke my uh, pelvis and uh, um, at the time I just knew that I had this flashback of this memory where once I was on the ground, I didn't move far when I hit the ground. So it was a solid hit oh, and I was just on my hands and knees and, and riders went by, didn't realize that, you know, what can he have done? Yeah. I mean, I didn't, it didn't look like a bad area to fall. It just wanted, it was just kind of a freak accident, you yeah. know, and you don't think of, you know, things could happen, but it stuff happens, you know? Um, And I just, couldn't I couldn't move on my I, you know get out of the position because I knew something was seriously happening you know bad feeling, and I see my knee bleeding. It was kind of it had a big cut open and you know I had to get like eight or nine stitches or whatever, um, and I was in a lot of pain. But there was a a promoter that got him you know I I told him about this race in um, in Toron or Torina or Terene, Mexico or something like that. But anyways, I know I didn't say it right, but um. <laughs> But he is uh he was the Laruta uh Ramon oh, and yeah. uh he he stopped to see me and he, he helped me at that point on till I got to the hospital and all that and uh but yeah, it was a it was a it was really scary. I mean you know, it was it woke me up big time, you know, and it was something that I didn't even know for sure what was, you know, what was gonna happen next. I mean mm-hmm. I didn't think it was the end of my career but I just knew that it was, you know, it wasn't gonna, you know, go away overnight.
2: See, that's what's impressive about you, man. Is I mean, a lot of people would have said, "I've been doing this for, you know, over thirty plus years. I just sustained this major injury, and and that's a big blow. And and to be able to say, yeah, oh no, I'm this isn't the end of my career. I, I'll yeah, I'll see you guys in a little bit. I'll be right back. And I've I've been following you on Facebook and and watching that uh-huh. that recovery and the fact that. You just weren't phased by it. You just kind of went, okay, now I just got to get this working back again, and I'm back on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, there, there. I That's guess not it where, yeah, it's not normal. Yeah, it, yeah, I, I just knew that. Well, I didn't know, but I just, I knew I had to get better, and I wasn't just gonna, you know, give up at this point. This wasn't, yeah. you know, the, the end of my career. I think, you know, being around athletes and watching a lot of sports, you know, I love motocross. I mean, these guys in motocross, um, when they fall, they're out of the season yeah. right off the bat. You know, I have a lot of falls, and I get back up, and I'll have, you know, scars and stuff like that. But when motocross guys fall, it's one of my favorite sports. You know, I grew up, like, you know, grew up because of BMX. I've always liked motorcycles. And I don't, I never, I, when I was young, I, you know, I rode a lot. But since I've gotten older, I, I've, I've had dirt bikes, but I, you know, they just sit in the garage and they never get used. Because you, you get this uh, this addicting feeling that you get from bike race riding, and that's what you know why people like cycling. You know they get this uh, this good feeling, and they want to keep on doing it. You know they feel good. It, it gives them you know this 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 good feeling, and they just want to keep on doing it every day. And that's the same feeling I got for my whole life. And uh, and so yeah, I just said well you know when season's over, it's, yeah I, I want to go dirt bike riding. But when it comes around that time, now that I got older, I'm just like, I don't really even have the, I'm more nervous about it, you know, about getting hurt and things like that. But it's just going to take me away from my writing time. And so, uh, But yeah, so I just kind of uh, gave up on uh, trying to do any other hobby except for my bike. You know, it's a, it's my job, but it's also a hobby, and it's something that I've done my whole life. And, you know, I just know that uh, I just want to, you know, just, I never was brought up to. Uh, I wasn't gonna, you know, grow up to be a fireman. I wasn't growing up to be, a, you know, a doctor or anything. I just always was riding my bike, and that's just something I just, you know, learned to love to do. And uh, if I had some other education to back me up, I would have done it. But I, you know, I started off so young, at 13, that I just, you know, had that in my blood since then, and I really never taught myself to think that. Hey, what happens if you don't, you know, ride your bike? I just never thought of, you know, looking that far ahead. I just stuck with bikes and that was it. (laughs) And, you know, of course I'm not going to have my son do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I wish I I would. I wish I thought there was something good that, you know, he could, you know, make a good living. But it's really a tough living nowadays. It's not like it was back when it was at the Highlight when it was on, you know, where I was making magazines, where it was on ESPN and Stuff like that now. The sport that's kind of taken up, you know, up mountain biking is you know, uh, road racing and road racing has just taken off in a big way because it's so big in Europe and 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 there's so many riders in Europe and and that's why it's such a big uh a big hit in the US and uh but mountain biking is you know it just never you know picked up after you know once it you know once it left TV and uh it's glad to see it is still on TV but it's really short-lived, you know, I mean, the, really the, the big World Cup races, you know, they're on, you know, I don't know how much they show, but they show maybe like 30 minutes of, yeah. you know, women and men racing. And that's, you know, the, the best races in the world in cross country. And, you know, back, you know, back when I was racing, you know, it was, it was a lot bigger than what it is and, you know, so, um, so yeah, I'm just happy to be able to do it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to complain, you know, I'm. I, I, I lived it at the, the peak of it. You know, I'm able to survive, you know, if I wasn't, uh, if I didn't have a wife that, you know, made enough money. Um, <laughs> I definitely would need to find me more than just riding my bike to do another, you know, I would definitely need another job, but, um, you know, uh, at you know, 54, um, going to be 55 in March. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to try to keep on tunneling away. And, uh, and hopefully I could still find something, uh, in the industry that I, you know, give back, you know, I mean, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to hope that I'm giving back. People love Jamie race and they, and they, and they're always, you know, the more they see me, I think the more my age is, uh, showing a, a big, you know, a big positive, positive thing about it. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, so it's all, it's working out good, you know? Um, oh, man. You know, and, and I mean, you know, I, I definitely owe it all to Canada. I mean, honestly, uh, you know they gave me my career i've done you know my whole racing career has been with Canada and uh and if i could do anything for them you know i'm i'm sure i will uh, i will hopefully find something to do with them you know even after racing
2: you know you you got me um i've been talking on this podcast for about the last year and a half about the fact that i've been struggling for motivation to keep it going i started racing in the early 80s and uh-huh. um and then, and then I hear hear you come on. You know, a guy who's been at not just been at it, been at the top end for a long time, and and your reasoning is just because you love riding your bike and you want to keep right. out and keep riding your bike. Um, I wow, I I'm pretty sure the audience just heard me sigh about halfway through you saying that because yeah. I just, dude, you, you're inspiring, and I don't, I'm not kissing <laughs> your butt. That's that is well, just know, go out and I, ride. I That's that
1: might... yeah. Well, thank you very much. You know. I mean, I'm I'm trying to leave uh, some some good stories for my son to talk about when I'm <laughs> off to you know out of uh, off to another planet, and uh, and hopefully you know that's one of the biggest motivations that happened for me is when he was born. I thought you know you know this would be awesome to let him watch Dad race his bike one day, and here he's nine years old and nine years old, years later I'm still doing it, <laughs> and believe me, if it wasn't for him that came into this world for me, I. Probably would have been harder to find all the fire that I found, you know, that I found ever since he was born. And I think he just, you know, he kind of reborn me in a lot of ways because I, you know, I tried to, you know, show, you know, find all the things possible to keep me excited every year. And and when he came into the world, you know, that was it. You know, that just, you know, kept kept me going and kept me hungry. You know, until he could see daddy. And and you know, you know, he's not, you know not into cycling like I am, but I'm happy that he's, he's doing what he loves to do. And, you know, and he's a great kid. And, uh, and, you know, my thing is, is I just want to just let him see, you know, that I, have you know, what I've done and what I've loved doing, you know, so whatever he decides to do, you know, he'll give it as much love as, you know, like I have.
2: Man. Okay, I I I have more questions, but I'm gonna stop there because you just finished so it on a perfect okay. note, my friend. You just I'm hit.
1: really I'm really happy that I had this opportunity. You know, I mean, I usually choke up on a lot of things. Uh, I you know I don't even know what to say next, and uh, <laughs> sometimes I'll I'll get lucky, and I think I just got lucky. Yeah, you know, I think some of my answers made sense. Um, so I hope that you know the audience <laughs> the audience. If they understand, they have, you know, 20% of it, then that's great. And I did a pretty
2: good job. <laughs> oh, they'll be here for the whole thing. Trust me.
1: <laughs> All right. Great. Hey, well, thanks, man. Thank you so much. It's good talking time. to you. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah.
2: You guys, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is one of those, you know, was it as good for you as it was for me? Wow. You guys, that guy's been doing it for for a long time, and he's still going. And he he does it because he loves it. Um, and it's it's not about the paycheck; it's about his love of of riding his bike every day. I I, I usually have a lot to say, but I'm going to just leave it at that. Tinker Juarez. That's a cool guy.